This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Let's not move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay. Let's move on. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 149. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Pack. In 1999's Stigmata, the subway scene was shot on a fake train carriageway, actually the same one used often in Seinfeld. And Patricia Arquette and Nia Long were the only people who weren't stunt people in that scene. Something we get so excited about is when you hit that ratings and review tab on Apple Podcasts and not only give us some stars, but actually take the time to write us a little something. It helps us in so many ways by getting to know you and creates this awesome community. But we also read every single one of these reviews at the top of the show. Leo, what you got for us today? We got one from somebody who goes by the name of Hey Dudes, I'm Ready To. He or she writes, the best horror podcasts out there. I've learned about the Boo Crew from Spencer Charnas of Einstein Kills on Twitter. Listened to his episode and then went back and started from episode one. I've listened to every single episode and can't get enough. They've introduced me to countless great movies, artists, bands, etc., and I always love hearing them talk about their local haunts, not to mention Trevor's incredible introductions. And he rates it five stars. That's not what you say. He says That's Leo in the Leo voice, voice five stars. <laughs> <laughs> and topical again, Spencer Charnas, who happens to be co-hosting this episode with us. More on that in a little bit. But first, Lauren's got another review. I have a review from Jedi Smash. Boo. This crew is dope. (laughs) Hey, all. I wanted you to know that this podcast has opened my mind to things I haven't watched in ages. Also work 10 to 12 hour days. The show has helped me ignore the chaos. That's my job in a cabinet factory. Keep it home. Push forward. Always rating. You guys ready? Ready. Five stars. Yeah. Thank you, Jedi Smash. That's such a rad review. I love it. I got one from Maloko Dark, who says, great horror interviews. The hosts are super fun and clearly care about horror. They keep it moving during interviews, and I always walk away interested in whatever movie they're discussing. 100% recommend for genre fans. Rating five stars. Thank you, Maloko Dark. Now, if you want your review read at the top of the show, what do they got to do, Leo? You got to head on over to Apple Podcasts. You know what to do. That's right. This time around... On an all-new episode of The Booker, we are joined by special guest ghost host, our good friend, Spencer Charnas, singer of Ice Nine Kills. If you have not heard of Ice Nine Kills, they are an incredible metal band whose album, The Silver Scream, is a song-for-song tribute to your favorite horror films and franchises from Friday the 13th, Elm Street, It, and more. They also have a new acoustic EP out called Undead and Unplugged, recorded live at the Real Overlook Hotel. The inspiration behind The Shining, Spencer's hanging out with us to chat with someone from not only one of his favorite film series, but ours as well, David Arquette. We talk about David's role in Scream, the newly announced Scream 5 with Radio Silence at the helm, David's brand new incredible horror film Spree out now, 
and its new documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, playing at drive-in theaters August 21st and August 28th on VOD and digital. Episode 149 starts now. This is David Arquette, and you have checked into the Boo Crew Podcast. For all of you out there who don't know me, get ready. Because you're about to know me. Hey, I don't see any cops around. Should I blow this next one? <laughs> I'm Kurt. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. What's up, guys? We're going to inject this right on the label. Does this water have, like, a taste to it? Airtight. We're watertight. <laughs> if you're not documenting yourself, you just don't exist. What we're doing here is important. We're creating a brand. The fucking gun? You don't know what this job's like. You don't know. That fucking no, gun no. Away. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is an absolute icon. He is a celebrated producer, actor, director, writer, and wrestler. He starred in your favorite TV shows, The Outsiders, the award-nominated Parenthood, Beverly Hills 90210, Friends, and more. His list of credits is perhaps the coolest trajectory of all time. Check this. The guy vamps out in the OG Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1992, teams with Robert Rodriguez for a starring role opposite Salma Hayek in Rodriguez's sophomore project, Road Racers, does a hilarious comedy with Brendan Fraser, Michael McKean, and Adam Sandler called Airheads, and that's only four years into his career. 1996, he steals the show as Dewey in Scream, the most influential horror franchise of our generation created by Wes Craven. He wins a handful of awards for this. We love him so much. They bring him back for the next three films and have just signed him on for the fifth. During this time, he also picks up a few awards for his work in Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. He's one of the few actors who gets to become a part of the Muppet film universe, the MFU. He writes and directs his own horror film, The Tripper, in 2006, continuing a legacy of voice work that will live on forever with our kids in projects like Jake and the Neverland Pirates and Tron Uprising. His choices and projects and the performance decisions he makes seem to be fueled by pure imagination, and that's why we love him so much. He is the embodiment of the essence of what it is not only to be a dreamer, but he's an inspiration to make your own dreams come true. A singular force. In April 2000, he won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship while promoting a movie of his called Ready to Rumble. He came back to the ring a few years ago to prove himself. You cannot kill David Arquette. Is a film documenting that journey. Premieres August 28th on VOD and digital. See it at drive-in theaters August 21st. He's also got a new horror film out called Spree. Available now on VOD, digital, and select theaters. Here with us is the legend, David Arquette. Wow. Thank you, guys. That is such a nice introduction. I've never had such a nice introduction. <laughs> David, man, how does it feel to be David Arquette right now with all this incredible stuff going on? And it's exciting. I'm excited for people to see Spree and to see the documentary. It's been a lot of work. I mean, you know, Hollywood's a lot like a roller coaster. You just kind of like 
you know, you just keep hustling and keep doing it. You know, there's like not too long ago, like last summer, not even that. I was just on one set that was just so, you know, it was just a low budget film and you know, typical, but it's just humbling in a way, you know, you want to, you want to work cause you don't want to just not work. And as a working actor, you want to stay fresh and you also want to help people when uh, they're first time filmmakers or something. So you have to find yourself on sets that aren't that cushy in, in any regard, but it's all part of the process. You pay your dues and just even 30 years into the business, you're still paying your dues. And as long as you can sort of keep your head on straight and hopefully do some good things, it's always about entertaining the people. So I think these two films specifically are really exciting because I've seen them both and Spree's just a, a incredible approach at a horror film that I had never seen before. It's shot all on iPhones and GoPros. And it's got this social media element at Kurt's world 96 on Instagram. You can sort of follow the character and see all the sort of backstory that they're building toward this event. I can't wait to get into Spree, but let's start by getting into the history with the horror genre as a viewer for you. Do you know your earliest memory of seeing a horror film? Yeah, I mean, Halloween is really one that sticks out, like the, the opening scene in Halloween, just uh, through the mask and all that stuff. That really always stuck out to me. I remember seeing The Shining really early, too, like when it came out. <laughs> and I don't know how old I was at the time. I felt like I was closer to the little kid's age the <laughs> than anything else. I mean, I was probably around a little older than him. So it was a pretty uh, crazy thing to watch horror movies. I used to go to the movie theater a lot alone, and I would – take the bus on the weekend and I'd buy a ticket and there were three movie theaters in this one theater. I'd buy a ticket to one that I could get a ticket to alone. And then I'd just spend the whole day hopping from the different theaters and just, you know, I saw French Lieutenant's wife like three times for some reason. <laughs> there was probably breasts in it or something. <laughs> but, but I also loved like the love story of it. I don't know. When did you first meet Robert Rodriguez and how did he inspire you? That's a match made in heaven right there, I think. Oh, man, that guy's incredible. I'm such a huge fan of his. And uh, I'd met him just shortly after El Mariachi was doing something before Desperado, I think. And it was just like it was a series of Showtime movies based on kind of like a grindhouse vibe where it's like kind of like these rockabilly kind of rock and roll movies and it was dope he introduced me to link ray an amazing guitar player who did this whole gritty sound that's in the music throughout the the film but it was really cool i mean he was super new to hollywood and he'd just come off this huge hit with el mariachi and uh he just loved filmmaking you could tell it's such a passion for it it's such a you know, he just had such a, a voice being, a, you know, a Mexican filmmaker coming out into Hollywood and you know, breaking down all those barriers with his first film. And then being this legend that he's become, it was great working with him. He was the coolest. He seems to be someone who'd have a lot of fun on set, too, and come up with new ideas on the fly. Was that kind of the vibe? Yeah, man. At, at certain points, at one point, he we were running out of time and he just grabbed the 
the hood of the car with this, you know, 16 millimeter camera on his shoulder. And he goes, just drive. And then the AD's saying, no, 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 we can't do this. He's like, drive, drive, drive. And I was like, ah, he's the director. And we just like bailed out this one shot where he's literally just holding on right there. Like that kind of vibe. He was, he's a baller. Well, let's get into some scream stuff. We, we have to, we just have to. Spencer, take us down the scream path. Absolutely. Well, David, uh, pleasure to meet you. I'm a huge fan. Thanks, Spencer. Uh, Huge fan of the franchise, and um, I have to ask you on on Scream Two, you got a, such a cool opportunity to work with your dad to have Louis Arquette on set, and uh, you know I, I'm a musician. I always uh, I sort of think of it in terms of it's like having my dad jam with my band, and so was that was that a really cool experience to to kind of feed off the energy of him and. Just have your dad around, who I'm sure you looked up to as an actor growing up, be on a set with you. Absolutely. It was so cool. I mean, one of my favorite parts is that it got turned into a Mad Magazine comic. And so we're in a Mad Magazine comic together, like some Mad Magazine artist. That's that's so nice. Yeah, that was really fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, my mother was dying at at the time during Scream 2. So it was really kind of a difficult time period so it was really especially great to have my dad around it was fun it was fun my brothers too he's in a little scene in in scream one as well so having them both there was really great my brother richmond has my favorite arquette trivia thing of all he is the guy who delivers the box in seven What's in the box? And it's like, I don't know, man. But uh, I just love that as an arcade credit. That's my favorite. That's What's amazing. It's so cool to hear. And, um, you know, I, the, the first time I saw your dad, uh, it was uh, in Waiting for Guffman, which yeah. was such, such a, a cool little role. And um, I feel like you probably developed some of his sense of comic timing because you you have the gift as well did you do you feel like you learned a lot from him from watching his films uh, to, to develop your own skills absolutely my dad was a master improviser he worked with paul sills who i also studied under but i studied under my father i studied under uh paul sills and paul sills mother was viola spolin who started all the theater games so it was really amazing to to be able to study with him and and watch him i watched a lot of his you know he was with this group called the spolen players and uh the committee which are really like uh, some of the original improv actors so that really like that's always been a sort of part of all of the arquettes upbringing is is improv and we did it as kids and we incorporated a lot within what we do. We find stuff, situations where the char- always driven from the character's point of view. But, you know, if a character wouldn't do that, but you need to do it in the scene to move something. So you have to figure out a way to improvise a way to make it work for yourself. And a lot of the time there's humor elements. But one of the great things about Waiting for Guffman was uh, Christopher Guest and and also John Candy. Like there were certain guys that toward the end of my father's life really kind of gave him some some parts because my dad was a working actor for forty five years and it was pretty rough at times. I mean, we we you could see like how how difficult it was. And money was always tight, and 
so to see sort of him get acknowledgement towards the end of his life, I'm super grateful to those guys for giving him that. Working in the Scream franchise, what's your fondest memory of working with director Wes Craven on the set? And what did you learn from him? Man, I learned so much from Wes. He was such an incredible mentor and just friend, just an amazing director to work with. One of my most memorable moments was, uh, you know, they used to hand out these tickets to uh, like films that weren't done yet, where the, you could go and you could go see them early and then you could comment what you liked and what you didn't. And they used to pass them out on Melrose Avenue where we all sort of, I went to school at Fairfax and I was just, I was out of school already, but we'd still go hang out at this newsstand on Melrose and they were handing out this, this free movie pass. And I was like, Hey, let me see. And I looked at it, I read the description and it's essentially was scream and I had just filmed it. So I was like, sure, I'll go. <laughs> so I went and then they saw me. They're like, you can't be here. So they were like, come with us in the back. So I got to sit next to Wes while he watched uh, a, a preview audience watch his film. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was super cool because he would just be sitting there and he'd be like, knowing the scare is going to come. And then as soon as the people would freak out, he'd get such a kick out of it. <laughs> the Boo Crew will be right back. It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. The last house on the left. Sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Take as only much as you can. Only a movie. Wes was amazing. He's had this real sort of like, he was super sweet, super kind and loving and very uh, just incredibly knowledgeable about music and, and film. He, he helped me a lot on the tripper. He gave me all these recommendations of fin films to watch, obscure films I may never heard, have heard of. And he was just really supportive that way. But he also really supportive, you know, in my relationship you know he, he he was like sat me down at one point and my, my mother was dying i was having a really hard time but he sat me down and gave me a real like fatherly advice he's like you know david i know courtney lo loves you and and you really should should make it work so get your stuff together and, and i think you guys could be great together and that kind of thing he was just sort of went above and beyond any director i'd ever worked with and he was just such a a noble guy he had such class about him he was of avid bird watcher, <laughs> which not most people don't know. Like in his real, like his real world beyond, you know, just horror films, he was really um, just very, like he was a, a scholar. And uh, the, what was the last thing I was going to say? Oh, there was some, oh, he'd do these funny things. Like he'd be watching all the things that kids are into today, like, you know, anime and all these like different kind of things that, that I don't even understand. The things you see, all see at, at Comic-Con and you're like, what is this world? These people are all Avatar, this kind of stuff, uh, the cartoon. He was watching those like South Korean, like like these crazy films. Like he'd watch them in between takes on, on screen. No was, way. Was, 
Yes, he was like so like ahead of like everything, and he'd get ideas for shots and he'd do all kinds of things. He was really amazing that way, and it was really great to watch him. And the last little thing about Wes was he'd come up and say, "All right, well that's unusable." Uh, I think we can try it again. He just had this really funny way of saying saying it didn't work. I'm going to miss him. Are you a big fan of radio silence? And what elements of their style are ones that you think will ignite the new Scream film? Yeah, I am. I mean, they're super, like, talented filmmakers. And and just, uh, you can just tell the way they tell a story is very detailed, very thought out, very intricate. And I think they're going to do an incredible job. You know, it's 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 going to be hard. But they're they all grew up being fans of this, like, this is something that inspired them. And I've learned the older I get that it really comes from a place of love. You have to do things that you love are when the things that come together have the most sort of effect or they turn out the best, or they're the ones that you enjoy watching the most because it's uh, you're a fan of the genre. And these guys are, they really didn't do a great job. I just know. So let's talk about spree, which, Oh my God, it's a, terrifying movie on many levels <laughs> yeah. i mean it really comes out of nowhere when you're watching yeah. it you don't expect what's what's going on it's even joe's delivery as this aspiring influencer is so on point and the film just nails it in so many places what's your take on that almost kind of flippant way that that the violence is portrayed and what that speaks to yeah it's intense eugene kachirilenko i could always mess up i could dyslexia i can't all, get all messed up with pronunciation but eugene is an incredible director he just put this world together it's funny he, we were doing another interview and, and i was hearing him talk about it and he was talking about taxi driver which you know also takes place in a car and he had watched that and he said if you watch taxi driver with an audience you'll be surprised at how many laughs there are at the beginning until he like shaves his head and you can totally see like whoa, this is going to a really dark place. So it's a, a very similar sort of approach in this. There's We're playing these fun characters who are like, you know, cringy and kind of like, you know, uh, a little sad but funny because they're so like lost in their kind of the way they don't understand the world that they're in. There's a lot of sort of humor in it in, the, in that regard, but then it just takes this really twisted turn and it's all sort of a, a, a look at social media and the effects also look at the school shootings and stuff like that that are going on, like just why someone would do something like that. You know, it's all heavy stuff and it's, you know, it's important to do, do films on the topic just to sort of uh, kind of talk about it you know you can't just let them keep happening without sort of either trying to understand them or trying to like shine a light and explore that part of the brain it makes you really take a look at that i mean i know that a conversation that lauren and i had we have four kids and they're at the ages where likes and follows and a place on social media really has gravity to it it means something to them which is something that we didn't grow up with you know and for this to shine a light on that, we see aspects of what's going on, obviously, in Spree in the real world constantly. Obviously, this is a very amplified version of that. Now, as a parent yourself, 
dealing with social influence culture, does that make it extra terrifying for you? And is there ways that you temper that with your own kids? <sighs> My daughter's 16. So she's like right in the, the whole world of it. And, um, I was talking to her about TikTok. I was like, what do you like about TikTok? Like opposed to, (laughs) you know, Instagram. I just was trying to figure out like, what is it? She's like, it's this algorithm that they have. It's specifically the algorithm because it can just find people like it's in all, it's all sort of comedy and music based for her. Like it links her to like other people of similar interests and all these, she's made some friends on TikTok. I know it's all kind of this crazy world. You know, we ask her to be safe and we try to like parent it like, but she's 16 now. There's a lot of like, you know, I don't know how certain people think, but she's nearly an adult. You know what I mean? It's like the cake is cooked in a sense. You know what I mean? At that point, now you're just, now you're just like praying like that she makes good decisions and like, you know, if she says something that might be a little catty, you just maybe don't laugh. You know what I mean? Or so she'll get like a sense of, but you don't want to say like, why would you say that? That's not, yeah, I don't know. It's like a different world. <laughs> Parenting, is hard. Hard. Parenting, Parenting is an art. Yeah, it's it is. So it is. Hard, yeah. <laughs> Spencer, what did you think of Spree? Yeah, I thought it was excellent. And I thought it was the first movie that I had seen that really used the lens of, of social media to tell a story. And it, it felt uh, very authentic to what's going on right now. You know, we touched on this sort of toxic nature of how people feel they have to be validated by the number of followers. And what I thought was interesting with your connection, it reminded me of what Emma Roberts had touched on in Scream 4, in that closing moments of Scream 4, where she says, I don't need friends, I need fans. So I I thought that that was interesting that it it kind of um, expanded upon that idea that that I thought was quite brilliantly done in Scream 4. And uh, I loved how it sort of spree danced around a few genres. You know, it starts off in this lighthearted way and then it borderline goes into almost Patrick Bateman kind of American psycho territory where you shouldn't be kind of laughing at some of the kills, but it's done in sort of a tongue-in-cheek way and then takes just this hard right turn where it becomes quite disturbing and I just really enjoyed it and uh, I thought it was also interesting that your character was kind of more of a friend than a father and I think that that also touched on something that I think can be dangerous in in relationships that I've seen where you know um, a a girl's mother is more of a a friend than than a than a um, um, a motherly figure. And I, I thought that that was a, a, a cool way to, to show some of the dangers of how that imbalance of a relationship could affect someone's mental state. Totally. Yeah. I was, <laughs> it was always so weird. Like we did this one night where we went out and we were in character and he was, you know, Joe was shooting a lot of it on his camera. A lot of it's on Kurt's world 96 on Instagram, where you could follow along some of the pre story. And, uh, yeah, so we filmed this whole day, and it was like we were kind of finding our characters almost on camera. So all of these things would happen in these moments of improv where he would say something, and then my dad, like, persona or whatever, would be like, oh, don't feel that way. You know what I would typically say to him? Like, you know, it doesn't matter if you know, people wouldn't, you know, don't follow you. It's just as long as you're having fun or whatever. 
but my, I'd have to instantaneously tweak it. Like, what would a bad dad say? <laughs> yeah, what, what is the wrong thing to do? Like, and then I just became like, he just became a super annoying to me. And like, you know, I'd just kind of be just dismissive of him. And we did have this kind of friend thing. That's like, that goes to the, what you were talking about. I think it's really important to maintain that, <laughs> that parent, a child relationship because it's a really important one there's there, you don't want any of the friend lines to blur that's just weird you know it's just funny and i also like the idea he's like this character kind of like refuses to grow up which i obviously can relate to but, uh, <laughs> but he like in a way where he's not even self-aware of it and i have to say it's also a i think a key to a great horror film is a great title and that one word title just says it all. You know, it's definitely a believable title for, uh, you know, a rideshare app, but also the implication with the killing spree. It's just, it's really well done. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you. Thank you guys for checking it out. And you've got this new documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. I mean, that is such an unbelievable journey. And, it, and it's also yeah. a very emotional one and an empowering one at the same time. Was it... More difficult than you thought or less difficult, the process of letting that camera behind the curtain to the level of where you take it. The letting it in, it wasn't really difficult for me. I'm pretty much have been an open book for better or for worse, often worse. It's hard to be super honest, but I've always sort of in my work, I'm always the goal is to be true and real and you know, open and you know, allows sort of that to come through you. So doing that wasn't that hard, that part, but the wrestling part, I had no idea how painful and how, uh, how hard I had to work and like staying in shape and, and, and then fracturing three ribs and then having to like wrestle and throw yourself down. It's just, it was a pain that I just will never forget. It just kind of echoes through your body like if you ever fractured ribs, it's really hard to breathe. It's really hard to sneeze. But if you're slamming yourself down like every day and these doing these rolls and like jumping off ropes, oh, it's just so everything's like these guys are in so much pain all the time. I have no idea how they do it all the time. I mean, part of it's once you do it a lot, your body kind of gets prepared for it. It's like your body's prepared for a car wreck every day. One of the first scenes that you really start to see this abuse is when you do that like backyard wrestling and they're like yes. slamming you on like, it looks like tax or rock. I don't know yeah. what it is. You all this it's blood and you're in some like yeah. kids, you're in some kids bathroom just bleeding all over the place. What kept you going through all that? And just like, you know what? Forget this. No, I'm not doing this anymore. What kept you going? I wanted to prove myself. I don't know. I was so sick of people saying, you know, I learned something through it. I mean, there's a lot of tall guys and there's a lot of muscular guys in wrestling, but you, you have to be tough and you have to be crazy <laughs> to a certain extent. And I was like, I got tough and crazy. <laughs> I can be tougher and crazy than most any of you. <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, that, that was my in. And then you just have to like pay your dues and you don't, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot like traveling city to city and, and then wrestling different you know people and different people have different things going on in their lives as they're like getting into the ring with you you never kind of know what's gonna happen so 
there were a lot of moments of real sort of insanity. Oh. Uh, but I'm glad I did it because, you know, what we do is we try to entertain the people. That's yeah. really what we want to do. We want to make projects that you guys want to see, that you get a kick out of, that it takes you away for a little while, that you remember and, and remember some lines and like throw it back. They become a part of your growth and you're growing up and your life, especially the way fandom works now where you can really sort of, you know, even meet people and especially in wrestling, you know, you get to really meet the fans. You get to go city to city or town to town and you meet these people and you get to know the wrestlers. So that was what it was all about. Sort of not letting someone define who I am, sort of showing people who I am and then just standing up for myself and not being bullied anymore. Such an awesome journey to experience, yeah. man. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite parts in the, the documentary is when you were fighting in the middle of the street. That, that was in, in Mexico, right? Yeah, Tijuana. I mean, just right on the pavement. And, and were those people in the cars, they were stopped at, at a stoplight? Yeah, they, so these is luchadors. They wrestle there. They've been wrestling like that since they were kids. So they wrestle there. They've learned how to wrestle there. At night, they go into the biggest arena in Tijuana and do huge lucha matches. They're like WWE stars that just do this during the day because they've always done it. They make a few extra bucks for their family, and it's just part of what they do. So I had no idea I was going there. I had no idea what was going on. I especially didn't know that I was going to be involved somehow. So the first time I tried it, it was a complete mess. I kind of hurt the guy's knee a little, which I felt terrible about. But then we came up with a little something and it was just kind of a, you know, a moment of like, I don't know, it was incredibly surreal. And then just having to go, you know, ask for change and, and after the, the thing and then finally getting some of <laughs> <laughs> really interesting stuff. And part that, that was a really uh, in, incredible part of the journey. Well, David, we won't take up any more of your time. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us, hey, man. Thanks for having yes. me. Thanks so much, man. It was an honor to, to be able to talk with you. You too. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 149. Special thanks to our guest, David Arquette. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at David Arquette. See Spree on VOD, digital, and select theaters now, and catch his documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, at drive-in theaters, August 21st, and VOD and digital, August 28th. Also, follow our special guest ghost host, Spencer Charnas, at Spencer Inc., and at Ice9Kills on Insta. That's Ice and the number nine kills. Pick up their album, The Silver Scream, and the new EP, Undead and Unplugged, live at the Overlook Hotel, everywhere you get music. Music for this episode from Ice Nine Kills. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. If you like this episode, be sure to check out episode 113 with Radio Silent. Woo! Episode 75 with Jamie Kennedy. Woo! Woo! <laughs> episode 25 and 137 with Spencer Charnas. Woo! 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 <laughs> Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trent.
Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 